You can open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, um, page 527 in the, uh, the chair in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, you want to look on. Um, last week, we began our exposition of this book, looking at the first seven verses of, uh, of Proverbs. And I uh, explained why it is we're preaching through Proverbs at this point in the life of our church. It's because we have so many children here, and Proverbs is a book written for the young people. Um, but those who are older, uh, don't, don't feel like you can't get anything from the book of Proverbs. I'm sure that you will glean much, uh, particularly the second half of my message today is, is applicable to all of us. But last week we looked at verses 1 through 7. We saw the, the author of Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived. We considered his life, the, the God-given wisdom that he had and how he is qualified to have written the book of Proverbs. We looked at the, the aim of Proverbs in verses 2 through 6 really is to give you wisdom. It's the idea is that you would get wisdom and it takes some work. You got to dig at it. You got to work at it. And wisdom is just skill in life. It's how to live well, how to make good choices, how to know the blessing of God in your life. It's what Proverbs is about. And the key to that that, that we cannot miss is verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the, the key to the book of Proverbs. Uh, the, it's a foundation of the book of Proverbs. If you miss verse 7, then Proverbs becomes moralism. Just plain and simple. But if you understand that we live in the presence of God, live in the fear of God, Proverbs then becomes something that's a, it's an act of worship as we seek to follow in obedience to our Lord well, this morning we're going to continue by looking at verses 8 through 19. I want to read them for you, and then we'll get into the message. Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Well, my message this morning is entitled Parents and Peers. Because these are the major players in the text. We see the first two verses, verse 8 and 9. Uh, Solomon speaking about parents, and we then see him speaking about peers in verses 10 through 19. And, and in both of them, he speaks regarding influence, right? The, the influence these people might have upon your life. Uh, one of the keys to wisdom is to know who to listen to. Um, because in life, there are many people who are seeking to persuade us. They're giving advice. They're giving us counsel. They're trying to sell us something, whether it's a, a politician who wants your vote whether it's a business who, who advertises to you in hope of, of gaining your business, or, or whether it's teachers who want to persuade you of their ideologies. 
The wise is the one who's able to understand the influences in his or her life, discern where people are coming from, and walk in the right path. Likewise, the foolish one is is the one who chooses the wrong path. The, The one who walks the right path with no blessings in this life, and the one who walks the wrong path with no troubles of walking in the wrong way. As Proverbs 13, verse 6 says, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. You walk in the right way, you'll walk in a safe way. You walk in the wrong way, and your sin will find you out. And that's what our text is talking about this morning, the influences in your life, right? And, and choosing the influences and, and how, you, how you do that. So let, let's dig in. First, let's look at the, the persuasion of your parents. My first point is simply this, listen to your parents. Listen to your parents. This comes especially, I'm pointing at the young people here this morning, Listen to your parents. 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. In verse 8, Solomon mentions both father and mother. If you didn't know, that's your parents. Okay, father and mother. The commandment is clear in in verse 8. Hear your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teachings. These are opposite, right? To to hear is to to listen and to heed and to obey. And forsake not means that don't, don't forsake it. Don't pass it by. Don't just put it under the rug, but follow it. That is, you need to listen to their advice. You need to accept their instruction. You need to follow in their ways. And if you do, your future will be bright. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. That is, your parents, kids, have a, have a storehouse of wisdom that they are seeking to give you. And if you listen to that advice, and if you accept the instruction of them, you will gain wisdom, and in the future, it will go well with you. I mean, one of the things that Proverbs holds really high is a teachable spirit, right? Listening to the wisdom of others and gaining wisdom from them. Because it's the fool, as it says at the end of verse 7, who despise wisdom and instruction. But the wise one is the one who listens to wisdom and instruction and then follows the advice. And when you make wise choices following that advice, it will go well with you. You'll have good plans and they will succeed. Listen to Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without counsel... Plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. You want to succeed? Seek many counselors, lots of wisdom. Proverbs 24, verse 6, by wise guidance, you can wage war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. In abundant counsel, you can go out to war and you can win. And so in many ways, wisdom in life is listening to the right counsel. And so I want you young people to really think with me, okay? As you, you think about your parents. Who's in your life that will give you more abundant counsel than your parents? I mean, you live there. You spend more time with your parents than with anybody else. And your parents have been there since the day you were born. Your parents were there when you took your first steps. Your parents were there on your first day of school when they heard your first word. They read you the stories in the evening and they prayed with you at night. They've taught you things like how to use scissors and to tie your shoes. They were at your birthday parties every year. 
They've eaten more dinners with you than anyone else. Just, just the abundance of time. Who has given you more abundant counsel than your parents? Or who, how's this? Who knows you better than your parents? I mean, they know your fears because they've been awakened by you at night when you've been scared of the thunder. They know your strengths because they've noticed when you succeeded. They know your tendencies because they've watched you over the years. They, they can anticipate, oh, going into this situation, I know it's probably going to happen. They can predict things about you because they've seen you in social situations. They've seen you in stressful situations. They know what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, what you're best at in school. There's no one who knows more about you, kids, than your parents do. And who is then in your life who cares more about you than your parents? They have held you in their arms. They've held you on their shoulders and taken walks with you. They let you play bunking bronco with them. Right? They've changed your diapers. They've given you food and housing your whole life long. They've applauded when you've done well at the plays. They've cheered when you've played the games. They've smiled when you've received your rewards. Your parents care for you more than any other person in the world. It makes sense then that their counsel is probably better than anyone else's in the world. Probably better than a pastor's even. Because they know you better. And kids, I would trust the advice of your parents. I would trust their counsel. And Solomon describes what their counsel is like. Verse 9. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The idea here is beauty. The idea here is, is significance. Um, picture with me here the, the, the Olympics. right? A, a gymnast or a team of gymnasts wins the competition. And, and what do they receive? The, the, the judge then puts these medals on their neck. They, they stand up on the, the podium and, and they bend over and they receive their medals. And, and, and they're proud of their medals. And their medals signify something. It, it, it's a reward that they have won. Sometimes when people arrive on exotic islands and vacation lands. On a boat or a plane. Sometimes they are welcomed by, like in Hawaii, right? Welcome with a lei placed right over their neck. This, this fine smelling flourish garland. Do you know what lei means in Hawaiian? It means garland. It means this, this neck thing that's around there. It's intended to, to just bless people coming. Or, or sometimes when they, they leave, just, just blessing them with that. And so is the counsel of your parents. It's like a gold medal. It's like this colorful lei. It, it is something to be proud of. It's something to be cherished. It's something to be trusted. It's something to be followed now, certainly there are exceptions to things I've said. There are adopted kids who never were held by their parents because they were adopted when they were three. There are, are, are parents who uh, don't care about their kids or maybe abandon their kids, certainly. So why adoption takes place. And so maybe it hasn't known everything, but still you're living with your parents, right? And, and for all of you today, I think all of you kids... Um, you're living with parents who care for you and know you and love you. And I know sometimes there are exceptions where some parents have, have led their children astray with their counsel, leading them into sin, telling them to do what is wrong. And you ought not to listen to such counsel from your parents, obviously. But, but that's the exception. 
And my guess that's true of the overwhelming majority of, of all of you is that you can trust the counsel of your parents. Would even encourage you children to, to, to listen for your parents' words as if they were the Word of God. Now, they aren't the Bible, but God communicates to you and gives you guidance through your parents. And, and your parents, they're motiv- they want the best for you. I don't know a parent who wants the worst for his child. Oh, the child ought to go do that because he's bad at that and he's going to fail at that. No, parents want to place children in places where they can succeed. Where it will go well with them. And the most qualified people in the world to give you counsel and advice is, is your parents. And so, listen, I just encourage you young people with, with, with all my heart to listen to your parents. Um, only if you're abundantly certain that their counsel is bad should you go away from that. Otherwise, listen to them and it will go well with you. And In fact, I, I, would, I would say that in the vast majority of cases... Kids that have gone off and gone into trouble, particularly from Christian homes, but, but even from any other home as well, even secular homes that are good providing, kids that go off have probably gone off because they've ignored the counsel of their parents or have gone off and, and pursued something different contrary to the counsel of their parents and has got them in trouble. Whether it's sex or it's drugs or whether it's jail or theft or running with the wrong crowd, whatever, they've gone away. From the safety here of listening to your parents. Okay, so now that's the kids. Parents, okay. It's going to be less for you, but it's going to be some. Parents, I just say this. Make sure that everything out of your mouth is good instruction for your kids. So that they come to trust your wisdom. Let your word be true. Don't make idle threats. Whatever you promise, fulfill. So they might see over and over and over the years to say, yes, dad's advice, mom's advice is willing to be trusted because it's good advice. So it, it comes even convince them and show them by just year after year after year after year that your counsel is really the best for them, that you want the best for them. And then they'll see in following your advice that they're actually following on a good path from someone who's older and wiser, has been through path, life, knows me better than anybody else, is directing me this way. And parents, I would encourage you to build up um, that credibility, if you will, so that they will listen to you. So you can't just say, oh, you need to listen to me. Didn't you hear what Pastor Steve said? Well, why don't you be a parent that, that earns that credibility? So like it, it, verse 8 and 9 isn't to the parents to force their kids to listen to them. It's to the kids to listen to their parents. But you can smooth the way. Just what I encourage you parents to do. Well, that's the... The persuasion of parents. Let's, let's move now to the, the persuasion of our peers. Verses 10 through 19. And this is for really all of us as we think about our peers. Now, peers are those basically who are your old, own age. These are your friends, if you will. These are your acquaintances. These are the people at school or the, the people at work or the people you meet um, in the malls or in the shopping center or, or wherever you happen to be in the parks. Right? These are people who, who are around you or an influence in your life. And you should, be, you should be careful what your peers tell you. It's not that you shouldn't listen to any of them. But you should just beware of the counsel of your peers. Because Solomon's exhortation is to, first of all, for kids, listen to their parents. But then when it comes to their peers, listen with eyes wide open, with ears wide open, discerning how they should act. And the simple command comes in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not content. That is, if your peers 
are pulling you away to a path of, of sin, don't consent, right? Don't follow in that path. If they want to persuade you to join them in some wickedness, refuse them. Don't follow them. Verse can be summarized in, in three words. Just say no. It's Nancy Reagan's phrase and her fight in the 1980s against drugs, right? Don't say, just say no. Just say no, right? Now, obviously, that's straight moralism, okay? Ultimately, it doesn't work, okay? That's where we're going to conclude my message this morning as we think about what does work, and that's trusting Christ as symbolized in the Lord's Supper. We'll, we'll get to that. But this is great wisdom. This is advice. This is advice whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. If, if sinners are enticing you the wrong way, just don't go that way. It's one of the most simple exhortations to holiness that exists. Right? When people are tempting you to sin, resist the temptation. Don't run with them. Don't walk with them. And know this, though, that sinners want you to follow in their way. The end of Romans, chapter 1, the very last verse, verse 32. Paul writes this about rebellious people. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die... They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. See, those who are involved in sin know what they're doing is wrong. And it helps when others will join them. It will calm their conscience. And so when others will follow them or do the same things, they're going to cheer them on and cheer them on loudly. Why do you think it is the homosexual community is working so hard to, whatever, legalize marriage? Because they want vindication. They know in their hearts that's not right. But they want their vindication. Why is it that people involved in sinful activity want it to be legalized? Because they want their vindication. Why is it they cheer other people on in doing the same things? They want vindication. They want company. What we see here is that bad company corrupts good morals and the bad company is trying to pull people away. But Solomon says, don't consent. It's about as clear and simple as can be. And yet life and the Bible is filled with people who have failed this advice. If sinners entice you, do not consent. There's many people who have been enticed by sinners and have gladly followed in the road after them. Think about Eve. She ate the fruit, and then she enticed her husband, and he ate as well. Think about um, Israel. Losing hope in Moses. He's been gone for 40 days. He's up in the wilderness. We don't know what's happened to him. Aaron, build for us a golden calf that we might worship the God who took us out from the land of Egypt. There's a temptation. Aaron should have said, no, you're tempting me to sin. You're persuading me to sin. What did he do? He gladly built the calf for them to worship. When Korah rebelled against Moses, 250 chiefs of the congregation joined him in the cause. His rebellion was wrong. Sinners enticed. And he, he had 250 main men to kind of come and follow, rise up against Moses. When the ten spies came back from the land of Canaan, they gave a bad report. And they wanted the people in Israel to follow in their unbelief. And the people of Israel followed in their unbelief. It should have been when sinners entice you, right? when they say that God is not to be trusted, do not consent with them, but go the way of Joshua and go the way of Caleb. When Eli's sons corrupted the priesthood, they had helpers, they had servants who helped perpetuate their corruption, empowering them. When Saul led the attack on David, his men followed his orders. 
when Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel away, they moved to make him king in contradiction to the Lord and his ways. When the young man in Rehoboam's life gave him bad advice, he followed in their ways. Ahab and Jezebel, married couple, stirred one another on in their wickedness. The wicked king set up altars to false gods and the people gladly served and worshipped the false gods. In the days of Jeremiah, the prophets even were involved in this. The people gladly followed. Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31. Jeremiah writes this. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their discretion, at their direction. My people love to have it so. So the prophets are falsely prophesying peace, peace when there's no peace. The, the priests just do what, what, what they want away from the presence of the Lord and the people love it so. They followed after the, the peers who have led them astray. If sinners entice you, do not consent. In the New Testament, we see the religious leaders stirring up the crowds to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The, the crowds calling out for the death of an innocent man. False teachers have ravaged the church, as Paul told the Ephesian elders. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You got false teachers coming in, want people to come and follow after their sensual desires and their passions. To Timothy, Paul wrote in the last days, 2 Timothy 3, 13, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, the world is a dangerous place. Many temptations, all sorts of people trying to lead you astray. There are few people who are trying to lead you on the right path. Many people will try to lead you on the wrong path. And Solomon says, if sinners entice you, do not consent. That's it in a nutshell. Just say no. And then... In verses 11 through 15, he expands upon this verse. My sin, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If sinners entice you, that's verses 11 through 14. Do not consent is verse 15. I just want to work through these things. The enticement comes in verse 11 through 14. If they say, right, we pick up the if from verse 10. If sinners entice you, here, here's a way that they might entice you. Here's just one example. He says, if they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. And we shall find all precious goods. And we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will have one purse. Now Solomon in this case as an example takes an illustration from the world of gangs gangs are nothing new in our day they've been around for thousands of years when a a collective group of people intent upon um, empowering the empowerment of a group rather than individual intent upon doing evil right team up and recruit others to this evil cause and these people aren't ashamed of their evil they are vicious and violent right up front their plans are clear they prey upon the innocent. They want to they take them down, plunder their goods, take what is not theirs. Unjust gain is what it's called. They get it. And the people are harmed and they go on their ways. And Solomon then says, do not consent or expand in verse 15. My son, do not walk in the ways with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. 
Now, the difficult thing about applying these verses at Rock Valley Bible Church is, is where we are. Like, like, we aren't an inner city church. Um, I don't know of any of you children who are involved in a gang. I, I hope you're not. Um, we don't have a gang problem at our church. Now, it is very real in some churches. Like, this would preach straight to churches. Um, and my suspicion is that very few of you will ever face that temptation of joining a gang like this with the evil intent of destroying people and taking things from them. Maybe in a corrupt business you might be involved in that. I'm not exactly sure. However, however, that doesn't mean it's not applicable to us because what we're talking about here is temptation and uh, the reasons for temptation here, the techniques, the recruitment techniques are similar in all temptation. So help us to see. First of all, notice the appeal to power. Joining a gang will give you the ability that you never had before because there's power in numbers. There's protection in numbers. And by the way, this is what's particularly difficult for some inner city kids is that if they don't join a gang, they're vulnerable to attack. And so it's pragmatic to join this gang for protection from another gang. And it's, it's really a very difficult circumstance, a little bit like the, the children up in Red Lake Nation. It's just they're surrounded by so much abuse and badness. Like, how, how, do you, how do you get out of that? I'm not sure. But the whole allure is right there is that there's power. As it says in verse 12, um, Come, let us swallow them alive because the us is stronger than the them. And temptation to sin always promises something more. Something that you can get. If you do this, you're going to be stronger. You can get more. Just as Satan tempted Jesus by showing him the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. He says, all this I will give to you if you but bow down and worship me. Promising the power of all the kingdoms if he'd but sin. And of course, Jesus did not consent. Second notice, temptations appeal to pleasure. Joining the gang will bring pleasure. In this case, it's financial gain. It's taking what isn't yours. And in the end, the promise is this. You, you, you get to use what's not yours. What we take, you get to use for your own good. Verse 13, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. right? And the pleasure that comes along with stuff and materialism. And we get to enjoy all that. We're going to take it from them. We're going to have it for us and we get to use it. It's pleasure. And temptation is sin always promises some greater pleasure. Satan tempted Jesus by noting his hunger, telling him, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And the bread will satisfy you in a way that God's provision won't. These are common threads of all temptations. I'm sure there's lots of other nuances of temptations, but these are just two big things that I can pick out of here from Proverbs chapter 1 is the, the promise of power. That sin's going to give you something you're going to get that if you didn't get, if you didn't sin, you wouldn't get it. And that uh, the promise of pleasure that, that sin will give you enjoyment. Um, the pleasure, like, so think about Eve. Eve saw the fruit that it was good. There was pleasure. And eating the food would give her knowledge. There was power. Right there in that first temptation. The sons of Korah rebelled against Moses because it promised power. We wanted to throne Moses, and so we can become powerful. David wanted Bathsheba because it promised pleasure. And to this, Solomon gave the exhortation, do not consent. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. 
It may look good. It may promise power. It may promise pleasure. But don't go there. Don't follow that way. It's a sinful way. And then on top of that exhortation, he gives them an explanation, which takes us to the end of our of our passage in verses 16 through 19. Solomon gives an explanation. And here he's, he's trying to reason with us. It's not just do this because I said so. It's do this because of the results of that. He says, okay, let's, let's think this through. Here's the explanation of why it is you shouldn't consent. This is like what Jesus, every time he was tempted, right? He gave a response from the scripture. This is why. This is why. This is why. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God in him only. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He had reasons. And this is what Solomon is trying to give to his son. And this is what all of us need to have. And we're tempted to sin. Have this reason, this explanation that, that beyond, beyond the sin, there's always something. Because the promises are empty promises. Okay? Like, like politicians' promises. They make all the promises in the world, but they're empty promises. And so is sin's promises, empty promises. It says here it goes, four, that's because, this is why you should not go with them. Because their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Which they of course would say, absolutely we do that. There's no hiding their, uh, their innocence, their, their guilt, if you will. They said in verse 11, let's wait, lie and wait for blood. Let's ambush the innocent without cause. They're, they're going the evil way. And then Solomon continues, in vain a net is, is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Those who are tempting to evil, verse 16, are evil. They, what they're doing is plain wrong. And if verse 7 is true in your life, if you do fear the Lord, then that is enough to hear that these people are walking in evil and wicked ways, ungodly ways. That should be enough because Proverbs 13, 8, Proverbs 8 verse 13 says the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So you hear, oh, that's evil. The key to Proverbs is verse 7, the fear of the Lord. I want to seek to be obedient to my master, to my Lord, my sovereign one. I, I can't walk in that evil way. But Solomon continues on. And in verse 17, he continues with this humorous illustration of trying to entrap a bird with a net. The bird is up, up, up in the tree, chirping merrily. You know, chirp, 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 looking down there. What are you doing? Chirp, chirp, what are you doing down there? Oh, you got a net for me. You think you're going to trap me in that net? Chirp, 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 laying out that. There's not, not a chance in the world you're going to catch that bird in the net. He sees everything. He's not going to be ensnared in the trap. You're laying. But we're not birds. Oh, that we were smart as a bird to see the trap and avoid the trap. But we're not. People think they're going to get away with their sin. They think they're going to sin and never get caught. So the deceptive power of sin. David never thought he'd get caught in his sin. He was the king. Absalom never thought that he'd be caught in his lust for power because he was the one in power. But they were caught. And that's what verses 18 and 19 are about. It's, it's about the end of sin. And if we only had the, the wisdom to see the end of the sin we are tempted by, the sin which is sugar-coated we see is actually a poison pill 
inside. Because the end isn't good. Those who join gangs will be caught. Or in Solomon's language, they set an ambush for their own lives. Oh, they may get away with it for a season, but it'll catch up with them. Like if you talk with those in prison, I don't have a lot of prison experience. John, maybe, maybe you can. You talk, did you ever think you are going to get caught? I didn't think they were going to get caught. I think most of them thought they'd get away with it. Right? If they knew they were going to get caught, they wouldn't do it. It's only by saying, nope, nope, I'm going to get away with it, that they do whatever crime they commit. But you will be caught. Your sin will find you out. So turn away. Don't consent. Verse 19 even speaks about that's the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It will take away your life. It, it like will be empty. Your pleasures will be empty. Uh, unjust gain. If, if you gain in an unjust way by te- taking and stealing from someone, whatever, taking unjustly, it's yours. Your pleasure is going to be lost. So you're, like, you're not, not going to have any life. And so Solomon reasons here. He says, listen, right? the temptation may entice you, but then he exhorts not, not to, uh, to succumb to the temptation, and he gives you a reason. And the reason here is simply by looking at the end. It's evil, and it's, it shouldn't work, but in the end, it's going to consume your life. And, and so kids, I just encourage you really to, to think about this. And really think long and hard about the choices you're going to make in your life. Because we're going to even see next week when wisdom cries in the street that, that the one who refuses to listen to wisdom is going to face such terrible consequences that in that day where they say, oh, it's so bad, and they turn to wisdom, it's like, right, you've made your bed. You've got to sleep in your bed. That's what you set for your life. That's what you have to have. It's a very sad thing, really, when kids would would take their life, refuse the counsel of their parents, follow the peers, and then they walk down their life only to see a bad end. And I just want the best for you kids, just even in a real practical way. But, but even as you think about this passage, and parents, even as you think about this, none of us are perfect, right? There have been sinners who have enticed us, and we have sinned. We have fallen short of God's glory. We have walked in that way. And so you say, what do you do? Well, you'll face the repercussions of your sin. David certainly did with Bathsheba, face the, the consequences of that. But what do you do when, when you've been enticed? When you've had a moment of insanity and, and, and disregarded the counsel of your parents and gone your own way, what, what do you do? Well, you turn to Jesus is what you do. Turn, turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to end there. We're out of Proverbs. We're going to Hebrews chapter 4. The last three verses of that chapter lead us right into celebrating the Lord's Supper where, where there's hope. Because really, the, the hope in my message this morning isn't that you do that perfectly. And, and even David, Psalm 25, remember not the sins of my youth. David is a youth, messed up. And all of us mess up. He said, God, remember not. Right? But Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about, uh, about temptation. And it speaks about how it is that we can... We can trust the Lord in these things. And it's only because of Christ and what He has done. He's the only one who has followed Proverbs 1.10 perfectly. He says, Since then we have a great high priest 
who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, right? So we're, we're getting to heaven not based upon how well we avoid our sinners, but on how strong we grab to Jesus to be sucked up into the, the heavens with Him, holding fast our confession. He says, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, Jesus had peers and Jesus had parents. And, and He submitted Himself to His parents and he discerned the counsel of the peers. In fact, he knew peers better than we know peers. He knew deep into the hearts of them. He didn't entrust himself to them. But he gathered disciples around them and he led them. But he, he walked in in a right way. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what the pull of influence is upon our life, both for good and for bad. He knows what it is to submit to his earthly father and mother, imperfect as they were. But Jesus... One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And Jesus did what we could never do, even right here in Proverbs chapter 1. So let us then with confidence, as verse 16 says, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And time of need comes when temptation comes your way. That's the time where you need to draw to Jesus and just say, okay, sinners are enticing me, right? You're, you're walking in the fear of the Lord. You're walking in the presence of God. And what does that mean? That means you're, you're trusting in Jesus and you're saying, praying, God, I'm coming to the throne of grace. I need mercy. I need grace at this hour for my need. And that's really what the, the cross of Christ represents. That's what the Lord's Supper represents. It, it represents our heart's desire that just says, I, I'm not in it myself. I can't, I can't do this, God. I need your help. I, I need your grace. And taking the, the bread and the cup isn't, isn't magic. It's not going to give you power over these things, but it's merely an expression that says, this is where I am. I, I do want, O oh Lord, to be one of those who don't consent when sinners entice me. I'm trusting you. I'm walking in your fear. And so if that's you this morning, then celebrate the, the supper with us. But as Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 11, we need to examine ourselves, right? And if we're, we're succumbing to temptation and we're just walking that ways and we're not fearing the Lord, if sinners entice you and you're walking in the path with sinners gladly, then just let the cup and the, the blood and the, uh, the cup and the, the bread pass because it, it doesn't mean anything. It's, it, it's worse because... Uh, you're, in fact, going to bring judgment to yourself because you're not trusting in Christ when you're saying you are. But for us, this is a celebration. It's a reminder of where our hope is. Our hope isn't in obeying Proverbs 1. Our hope is in fearing the Lord, trusting in Christ who's done it for us, what we could never do. So let's pray. Father, I would pray as we celebrate this precious supper, kind of eating bread and, and drinking uh, of the cup, a really symbolic and remembering of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who, who took the cup for us, who faced every temptation for us, who was enticed by sinners. In fact, the, was enticed by the chief of sinners, Satan himself, and passed that temptation. And so our, our trust and our hope today, God, is not, is not in our, uh, our abilities, but it is in Jesus. And yet, God, our desires are to know the blessings of this life and to walk in a way that would please you in every respect and to know your blessings um, that, that come from that. And so, Lord, I would pray as we, as we eat this supper, God, may, may our sins be confessed before you. God, may we delight and rejoice in the, the forgiveness that is found through faith and faith alone 
in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.